Hello and welcome to an emergency Dwarfcast. There's an emergency going on. Well, sort of, uh, <laughs> in that we've ago. got a lot of <laughs> a lot of Red Dwarf news to talk about. So in a change to the advertised programming, Book Club will follow in a couple of weeks' time. But we wanted to just talk about all the many things that have happened in the last few weeks. Basically, February has just been non-stop news and things mm-hmm. Red Dwarf related after quite a quiet period. Obviously, there was Holly Hop the online version of the Red Dwarf Fan Club convention, at which a brand new script by co-creator Rob Grant was performed, his first contribution to a Red Dwarf script since 1993, excluding Body Snatcher. We'll come on to that soon, but we also just wanted to talk about what on earth is happening at Grant Naylor Productions? Because <laughs> obviously we are the people with all the inside scoop from our various bedrooms. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think... Um, it, it's well known as well that it is definitely always a good idea to talk about ongoing legal cases. I think I think it's fine in general um, for us to do that. <laughs> I haven't told anyone who we are. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me are Jonathan Capps. Hello, I am here live. I am not a cat. And Danny Stevenson. <laughs> I am legally obliged to agree with this statement. <laughs> you have no authority here, Danny Stevenson. <laughs> Uh, just to date this podcast as thoroughly as possible. <laughs> February, February 2021. <laughs> so, it all started... Uh, With a kiss. I never thought it would come to this. On the 4th of February, an article appeared in the Daily Mail of all bloody places, indicating that Doug Naylor has initiated a dramatic high court action against Rob Grant and Grant Naylor Productions. Uh, which was quite uh, a surprise Mm. and not a very pleasant one. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, you'll be familiar with the stories by now. If not, they're all on Ganymede.tv. It's a sad state of affairs in general, really, isn't it? It It's come to this in the first place. It's so strange that all these years that we've... You know, we, we've had this this question hanging over us: is what what happened with Rob and Doug? And it's like it's always one of the top top search terms that people come to our site with is yeah. what happened with Rob and Doug, and we never really thought that we'd ever have it at the forefront again like this. And now it's just exploded in this very very weird way. Like you know, imagine a lot of the arguments that have been had now about money and presumably rights and who's blocking what and who's doing what is exactly the conversations that were being had in 1995 and it's just all all mm. seems to have kind of reignited either that or it's just been made it's just surfaced to the point where other people know about it yeah oh yeah oh yeah maybe, maybe this has been rumbling on for forever who knows maybe. like it's it all seems very strange because there has been this huge gap like 25 years of I wouldn't say smooth sailing but we've we've had a a stream of of like of new red dwarf mm. that's been made. Doug has not been hampered, as far as we can tell, from making more episodes than were ever made with Rob. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so why now? That that's the main question. Like, what what is what is going on suddenly now? I wonder if it's been more like a ceasefire uh, for twenty five years rather than yeah. completely smooth sailing. Although within that time. There have been little glimpses of them doing stuff together, uh, like Body Snatcher. Um, mm. The whole of Body Snatcher collection uh, they both worked on. They both had passes of coming up with an ending for the script to Body Snatcher itself. Mm. Uh, they sort of batted it between the two of them. They did commentaries together, 
<clears throat> which is something that I can't imagine happening again at any, no. <laughs> any point in the near future. Well, we were so optimistic then as well, weren't we? Like, yeah, and it, yeah, it seemed to be that you know maybe they could reconcile their differences, uh, and if not work directly together, then at least put any rumours to bed that they'd had a massive falling out and and be friendly. Um, but that was thirteen, fourteen years ago now, um, and it seems like like we've always we've known we and, and noted um, that it's been the last couple of years when robbers sort of come out of hibernation red dwarf wise appearing at dj uh for the first time since <laughs> since he left the show basically mm-hmm. since the very first couple of djs in the early 90s yeah and then turning up on the set of the aa advert being involved there obviously doing the red dwarf quarantine commentaries uh throughout lockdown starting last year but yeah it seems that this all coming out in the open and all the nastiness seems to stem from um, Doug is apparently no longer a director of Grant Naylor Productions. Mm-hmm. As of March last year, according to Company's House. Yeah, so we're to assume based on his, based on his actions now that that was not a voluntary move. Yeah, yeah well, the quote in the article uh, says, I have been excluded from Grant Naylor Productions. Right, yeah. The quotes in that article, <laughs> it's really hard to know what to make of them. Because for one thing, as we said at the time, it's only one side of the story. But also, Linda Glover tweeted, um, Linda Glover, in case anyone knows, as well as being Red Dwarf's casting director, is Doug's wife, uh, tweeted on the day that the article came out saying, just to be clear, no one went to anyone with anything and no one spoke to anyone. It's all a matter of public record. So we don't really know where those quotes come from because we asked her directly on Twitter in reply to that tweet and did not get a response. No. People have speculated that, you know, maybe this is all in court documents or, you know, things that Doug has filed as part of the lawsuit, but all of those, not all of those quotes seem to me like they'd come from a legal document. And there's there's some bits maybe, but, you know, I'm sure that the Red Dwarf fans and the Much Love cast would agree is not something that you'd submit to a judge. I don't think that seems to be someone talking to a journalist, from what we can tell. Yeah, and I believe there's a quote... I can't believe I've just had to click onto the Daily Mail. Um, I'll just cross myself. On. There's definitely a point somewhere where it says, yeah, I have been excluded from Grant Naylor Productions, the company I co-founded and which bears my name, Naylor tells me. So yeah. the journalist is, is saying that, ne- that Doug has been telling them these things. The journalist is claiming that. It is a journalist that works for the Daily Mail, and so therefore you take that part with a pinch of salt as well. But yeah, I, I can't see that no one has spoken to anyone about this. No. Sebastian Shakespeare is the name of the... The, the person who wrote this. From a legal point of view, when someone said no one went to anyone, it's like, well, it's clear that obviously Doug may not have gone to the Daily Mail with the story, but someone from the Daily Mail went to Doug with the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that is probably what should be inferred from yeah. what she said, but it's a little bit disingenuous. Well, the timing of it was annoying, um, really, the fact that it came out a couple of days before Holly Hop, at which Rob was appearing. Um, and maybe that's you know the the kind of insinuation that Doug did that deliberately uh, is what Linda was refuting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it wasn't Doug's decision to make it you know to do a press story about it, which I can believe. Yeah, it's natural for us to to kind of have a bit of a lashing out reaction to something like this because it was deeply unpleasant to see this new story on that yeah. Thursday morning, and my initial reaction was to to maybe 
lash out at Doug a little bit or be angry at Doug for this. Funnily mm. enough, I don't know what like uh, like he he claims that he's had he's he's had money withheld, but again, like this is like one side of the story. But it just the reason I like my initial reaction is maybe to not side with with his side of stories that it all seems so i don't know what the word like it it just doesn't seem adult <laughs> it doesn't seem like the way to, yeah. to go about this it seems petty and it and he invoked red dwarf fans in his argument as well yeah that's the thing that annoyed me yeah. more than anything else is it's kind of like telling us what our opinion should be yeah when we like i don't want to have any negative opinions about Rob or Doug. No. <laughs> I want them both to be these perfect geniuses that created my favourite show together. That they have been for so many like years to us as well. I don't want to believe any bad things about either of them. No. Uh, and I certainly don't want to pick sides. But I do think it's, yeah. I don't want to pick sides, but I don't want to be asked to pick sides either, and that's what. Kind yeah, of yeah. Or, or like, or I'll be dragged over to one side. Yeah. Um, let me let me get the quote. It is bizarre and regrettable that Grant Naylor Productions and its other shareholders are trying to prevent me from doing so. Are you making Red Dwarf? I'm sure that Red Dwarf fans and the much-loved cast would agree. And, of course, we don't want anyone preventing anyone from making new Red Dwarf. But, <laughs> again, like this is at this point in time... In fact, actually, with a lot of this stuff, it is still only his side of the story because while Rob and, and Paul did respond they didn't respond to everything obviously no but one of the main things that they did um, respond to is, is kind of that, is that specific things, point yeah. let's, let, so let's talk about that then let's talk about the reply which is Paul said at Hollyhop as uh, it was like basically at the, at the start of their appearance at Hollyhop um, they wanted to address the elephant in the room um, and Rob made a joke about that. Uh, but Paul said that they've already signed a contract for the next iteration of Red Dwarf, whatever it may be, a new special or series. Uh, it stipulates very clearly that Doug will be the writer, director and executive producer of any such commission. So that's clearly a sticking point. <laughs> that's, 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 one, that's one of the things where there's definitely a bone of contention there and we have no way of knowing which of those two things is true. Doug claims that he's been prevented from making Red Dwarf. Paul claims that you know they've signed a document legally saying that he can make a new Red Dwarf. There's some hope in all of this that at least part of it is a misunderstanding or a miscommunication between them. If they've not got proper lines of communication because of you know past grievances or whatever, then that just it compounds this kind of communication issue doesn't it like things yeah. like this starting to crop up and and it, and if maybe they didn't realize that doug was at a point where he was about to take legal action and if they did what what i found interesting about this so this is something you touch on with your greater knowledge of, of how these things work than, than i have but i didn't know about this um this earlier step to a commission this kind of legal signing of contracts that lay out the terms for a potential commission which is what i imagine this is what paul's talking about is that right yeah I, again i don't know the specifics of this case but i do know that if the if you've got an ip like yeah. red dwarf because red dwarf as a property is owned by an independent company they will decide amongst themselves basically what happens with it and especially in right, this yeah. case where you've got multiple shareholders and <laughs> as it turns out shareholders that don't get on and aren't necessarily going to agree it would make sense that um, they would sort of internally amongst themselves sign a contract to say what they're going to try to do 
uh, before it happens so that there's no disputes later down the line like they wouldn't want to get to a point where UK TV have said go and make a new series and then have to decide amongst themselves who makes it who writes it who yes. makes it, okay got you right that's very interesting then because what Doug is saying in his quotes is uh, so at the time Naylor was in negotiations with UK TV and claims that had it not been for his removal as director, those negotiations would have resulted in UK TV commissioning two further Red Dwarf specials. Hmm. So does that suggest that what fell what failed was a a point after the contracts that Paul is talking about? Because if Paul's talking about the pre commission contracts and Doug's talking about an actual commission. I, that, obviously, I don't yeah. know. I'm just kind of that's something that that kind of just cropped in, cropped up in my head. Like, are we talking about two different points of the process here? Yeah. Well, my interpretation of Doug's quotes is that he was everything was good to go um, for two new specials, and then UK TV got wind of the drama that had happened at GMP and, and called the Jets and like, okay, well, let's leave it there. So Doug reckons that if it wasn't for the fact huh. that all this kerfuffle was going on behind the scenes, then UKTV would have just signed the contract. Yeah. It's speculative, yeah. They haven't signed the contract. Yeah, I would, I would perhaps suggest, having not known the specifics of the details, but if there was any um, calling off at some point in the last year or so, then there might be other reasons to play. Yeah, or like even the slightest bit of friction of just like, oh, what, there's going to be some potential legal issues with Granville. Do you know what? Let's put our efforts somewhere else because of everything else that's happening in the world yeah. right now, you know. Let's make um, a, a cheap uh, panel show yeah. where we can just have four people sat two metres apart on a set rather than try and make a complicated sci-fi sitcom. For God's sakes, will someone please <laughs> give us the next Taskmaster? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and all we've got here is we... we, we we can only in, infer from implications, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so not nothing we're saying here is like is likely to be even true. But it's like it it, it does seem that this is like Grand Naylor Productions needs to have its shit in order, pretty yeah. sharpish in order for anything useful to happen. And that has been an opinion that we've had and that fans have had for a lot of years because Grand Naylor Productions not having its shit in order is a bit of a recurring theme. Yeah. <laughs> from from an, a very early stage yeah uh and yeah it's like i think maybe that's the conclusion that we draw from it is that we knew that certain that grant naylor productions was a bit of a shit show from what happened <laughs> with series 10 being the main sort of public example that we know about but yeah. i didn't realize how deeply it runs and i think yeah rather than us trying to speculate about who's right and who's wrong when both parties are at odds with each other i think the thing we can that everyone can agree on is that they need to get their heads together and figure something out yeah between them like i'm sure that there is a middle ground that can be found if they put their heads together and one thing that i genuinely i believe is that neither Doug or Rob or Paul wants to stop New Red Dwarf from happening at all. Because Doug wants to make it like he's always made it for the last 25 years. Um, And he wants to, because it's his baby and it's his thing. Rob and Paul, whether they're involved or not, they are shareholders of the company that makes it, so they will make money from the fact that Red Dwarf is being made. It is in nobody's interest to stop Red Dwarf from happening. And if there is any impediment to it happening that's as a result of this, then I'm sure it's something that could be worked out. 
because and they've got that common ground at least. What feels like the main difference between Doug and Rob in this situation is that, that Rob is you know, Rob is a co-creator of Red Dwarf, where, but he is still being very clear about his position that he is very happy for Doug to be right, sole writer and director of new Red Dwarf TV shows. Like, he's not trying to be, the, the you know, that guy now. Like, I mean, he said it on, you know, like him and Paul basically out and out said that. It's like, we wanted Doug to make whatever yeah. the next TV sh- shows are. Like, you know, Rob, Rob isn't trying to muscle muscle in on that or, like, that's not what is being shown to us. Whereas I can't imagine... Well, I mean, this is speculative. I can't imagine Doug being as as kind of as as open minded about Rob doing something Red Dwarf related on his own. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I found it interesting that Rob said in his little speech at Hollyhop, "I would really love personally to write some of it, just for the record." Not, I am going to write some yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh, but he would like to, which you know. He's, He's been away from it and hasn't done anything official, like proper Red Dwarf, <laughs> like until Hollyhop. He hadn't done anything since Backwards came out in 1996. Yeah. So I think he knows that he can't just steam in and make demands. Exactly. And you just don't, you can't, there's no evidence that he would even want yeah. to do that. Like, you know. So what he what he's talking about is it's very clear that Rob and Paul are very keen for Red Dwarf to continue, to put it bluntly, to continue making money. Yeah. in a variety of ways and so like twice now once in this and once in a, a in the interview on toss a few days ago it's been stated like or their intention for as many different types of red dwarf as possible to 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 continue which is really like that's where the the, the big discussions are kind of especially on gnt are, are going with commenters is like the validity or the the apparent worth of these side projects things like stage mm. shows live shows, books, movies, radios, spin-offs. movies, spin-offs, and another American pilot or another American series. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that was that was the strangest. <laughs> that's the strangest bit. And that feels like that's where Rob wants to insert himself. He wants to insert himself in in a, in a one of those places, a side media, alongside Doug's UK TV version of Dwarf. Um, and the... That is a whole conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's have it. Yeah, let's have it. <laughs> I would never want any of this stuff to replace proper main Red Dwarf. Like For me, proper main Red Dwarf is written by Rob and or Doug, but, you know, realistically, Doug. Just Doug, yeah. Just Doug these days with the four main casts um, in a studio in front of an audience. That is what proper Red Dwarf is. And I would not. I would never want anything to replace that. To be a, if it was a choice between a thousand spin-offs and just more of the same. Yeah, I would go for more of the same. But if we can have that anyway and have some extra stuff that's done by Rob, then why the fuck not? Yeah. There is also the other um, situation where there is something we're increasingly going to have to <laughs> face up to, which is yeah. at a certain point is that proper Red Dwarf. The thing that we all agree is proper red dwarf will it be impossible to make anymore? Yes. Um, so, what? What then? Well, I mean, what do we want from that point? Like, so, so in my mind, if proper red dwarf were to be replaced with novels, like mm. novels are the only is the is the only spin off media because it's the only spin off media that's previously been done that in my mind has 
about as much claim to be proper Red Dwarf as the TV series with the cast. Yeah. Also, I guess an audio version with the same cast would come close to that as well. So there's certainly like it's, it's not not none of it would be an illegitimate way, but like I I imagine that Rob and Paul are very are looking 10 20 years down the line. I mean, mm. they, they must be. They're directors of the company. They, they will have a 10, 20-year plan for their company. <laughs> um, and and that's what I'm really interested in. Obviously, like, you know, no no one no one's saying, like, oh, yeah, let's fuck Doug off, fuck the cast off, let's start making something new. But, like, is the core idea of Red Dwarf, is it something that's strong enough or is it something that can transcend this cast and that format? Mm. Um, and that's a that's a weird one. If the US version was produced in a similar vein to the way the UK TV show, which is you get Rob and or Doug to write it, and you do it with the same level of the same level of control that Rob and Doug had on the original show, maybe not in the first couple of series, but definitely towards the you know three three and onwards, yeah. when they actually had an active you know when they were actually owning the thing, um, then yeah, I I'd have no doubt that a Red Dwarf USA could work in that in that when it's produced in that sense but in the sort of that we we've seen evidence of the fact that an American version of Red Dwarf produced in an American way doesn't seem to work but that might have changed mm. in the intervening 20 odd years that we didn't you that know. was what I was going to say it didn't work in 1992 but um, it doesn't mean it won't work now. I mean, American sitcoms, uh, and I'm not as much of an expert on those as, well, I'm not an expert on UK ones, but I don't know as much about US comedy as I do UK, but there didn't seem, um, from our perspective, to be much variance in American sitcoms in 92, in that they were all produced in the same way. They were mass-produced. Um, they all had that writer's room thing of gag, 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 gag. Red Dwarf USA was produced no differently to Friends or Cheers or whatever. Um, whereas now, um, there's been a huge explosion in interesting, innovative um, American sitcoms um, in the last 20 years or so. And I know that I'm sounding like a wanker that claims that there was no good comedy before yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> before The Office came along. But <laughs> but like specifically in terms of the, the different types of stuff that can be done, I would be far more interested in seeing a sort of HBO take on Red Dwarf than a mid nineties NBC take on Red Dwarf. Mm. Yeah, I, I think American American comedy has really, I feel like, has, has nailed the audienceless um, kind of format. Yeah, really well. Like, um, I, I I think you know, I still I still like my sitcoms with with uh, an audience, but by no means is that an exclusive kind of preference. Yeah. And I think it comes down to. It comes down to like what like Red Dwarf to us is um written by Robin Doug on TV, studio sitcom, with you know, roughly the same core cast, like give yeah. or take a couple of hollies. So is there anything about the setup, the themes, the message or anything like that? Is there anything at all after that? that can be transplanted, that can be given the name Red Dwarf and people can say, look, this is a new thing, new cast, new everything, new writers, but it's still got this core single you know, message. Or is that all wrapped up too much in the actors and the, and the writers to separate out? That is my biggest worry about the whole venture, mm. is that it's not Star Trek. Because, like... Exactly, it hasn't got a central Star, thesis. Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek The Next Generation can happen um, because it's it's a 
the same core idea uh, with new characters, and then from that you can get your yeah. other, you know, your Deep Space Nines and your Voyagers and whatever. Um, I don't watch Star Trek. <laughs> I don't know if they're any good or not. But it's like Red Dwarf isn't as it doesn't have as big a universe outside of our main characters to draw from. It's also that, that Star Trek sort of almost based around an ethos and uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and an ideology rather than like it's a sort of like you know it's a situation based around specific things. It's based around a general thing. And yep. then there's lots of versions of that general thing being played out. Whereas with Red Dwarf, we are talking about a very specific situation, which is very difficult to change without it not feeling like that anymore. The fact that Red Dwarf has changed multiple times over its lifespan says to me that um, that the, the, the core of Red Dwarf is so ingrained, I mean, primarily in the writers, um, like all, all of their influences, what they think is funny, obviously what they think is funny because they're writing the British script, but what, you know, the sci-fi that they like, the ideas that they want to explore, but none of those, yeah, not, nothing really is pulling in a single direction that you could then, you could wrap up and say, this is what a Red Dwarf episode looks like. Mm, this, this is what yeah. a Red Dwarf episode is usually trying to do. It's just, hey, what, what's, what's going to be funny in this situation? Or, like, you know, I, I'm interested in this science idea. What's funny about this? And then move on to the next episode. So, yeah, you, I, I think I didn't know the answer to any of the questions I was asking before. <laughs> I was almost trying, trying to figure it out myself. Like, because I'm a little bit on the fence. Like, if someone said to me, Rob's doing a, a US series with a completely different cast, I would be pretty excited about that. Even though it would, there's a certain amount of sacrilegiousness to that, and and thinking mm. about a different cast, I would still be, I would be like, all right, yeah, show me what what you've what you've got, show me what Red Dwarf can do in this situation. Is that because you've you've got the possibility of Doug Stone being able to make UK Red Dwarf, and therefore it's sort uh, of inconsequential in that sense? Or are we saying, oh that yeah, if there was yeah, yeah. either or, you wouldn't pick it? Oh yeah, I wouldn't pick, I wouldn't pick. But you're saying that if it could run concurrently, then you wouldn't yeah, have yeah, as yeah, much yeah, of a problem with that. it. Always with that, but if like you know, if if circumstances conspire that that like the legal fuckery is just going to make a TV series basically impossible, the um the the age of everyone or like everyone being too busy, like you know, Robert it seems incredibly busy being a um like a YouTube personality and an activist and everything all rolled into one, and like you know, Craig's always busy and whatever. Like if if someone to say, <clears throat> well, actually, Red Dwarf's just basically books now, like because that's easy. And then the odd radio play, then that would be okay, you know. Well, we've been talking quite a lot in, in like somewhat prophetically in um, Waffle Men. A lot of the topics that get asked uh, tend to be along the lines of would this type of thing yeah. work? And we've been speculating a lot, and like, we've probably contradicted ourselves multiple times about <laughs> what counts and what doesn't count, and what would work and what wouldn't work. But fundamentally, and this is something that I have said before as well, we are not Rob Grant or Doug Naylor. We are not as clever or funny or inventive mm. as them. Um, if Rob Grant has an idea that he thinks works, then I want to see it. Yeah. And, yeah, only if it's not at the expense of the Red Dwarf that's been happening for the last 25 years without him, but if it's in addition to, yeah. then why the hell not? I, I don't see why you would... Like, what do we care about Red Dwarf's sort of reputation and everything like i think what people's fear comes down to is a shit version of red dwarf comes along and everyone thinks it's shit 
Um, but that doesn't take away. Like we've had shit Red Dwarf. Yeah, <laughs> we've had yeah. plenty of shit Red we Dwarf. We still in the have main shit Red Dwarf. Thing. If we had a new series tomorrow, it would have a shit episode in it. Our next um, episode coming through, <laughs> we'll tell you exactly we, what we think. If we don't keep putting Red it Dwarf. off for various reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's really handy for um, for Rob and Doug to have this argument so we can delay doing the time wave commentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why. That's why Doug that decided was it. to yeah, drop yeah, this <laughs> Crafty uh, of course I would watch it and be interested and we'd cover it on G&T and if it was a complete disaster then we'd still cover it yeah we'd, we'd still be watching it and talking about it and then in a few years time we'd be taking the piss out of it and laughing at it and still enjoying the fact that there are at least you know 50 odd really good episodes of Red Dwarf I think something that we could probably take away from this if, if we're to take Rob and Paul's comments at face value which I have no reason to, why we shouldn't if TV, if Doug TV Dwarf never happens again, we can be fairly certain that that isn't because they decided to kill it in in in, no. in service of a Rob vision. Because as we'll talk yeah. about, there are like <laughs> in the same breath that you know Rob said, "I'd like to write some more of it." He lays the groundwork for exactly how he could do that <laughs> um, yeah. in his own script. Like I, I think we could be, you know, like. We we are Red Dwarf is going to evolve and change into something else at some point, and I. I but I, at the very least, we can be pretty sure that you know that they, they haven't just killed Doug's dwarf. That they have no intention of doing that. And if it does so happen to never happen again, then it's going to be a little bit more complicated than just oh they killed it and therefore Doug isn't allowed to make Red Dwarf anymore. It's going to be much yeah. more complicated than that. We've said since the Promised Land happened that you know the Promised Land could well have been the last Red Dwarf for various reasons. Yeah. Um we don't know when TV production is going to be back to normal after Covid. Um because you know there's going to be a huge I mean, I, I think I said this in my end of year review thing when we were sort of talking about what does the future hold and we have no idea, mm-hmm. is that it's going to take... A, when COVID restrictions are lifted, there's going to be a huge backlog of um, productions that couldn't happen with those restrictions in place that are going to need the studio space. That, As we've alluded to, the age of the cast is a ticking time bomb. Um and like Robert got really ill making the promised land and there was a suggestion that the fact that he was encased in rubber um for 12 hours a day was a contributing factor um if not to him getting ill then like Make clearly it didn't help yeah. yeah didn't make things better even in sort of the pre publicity for the promised land i remember a few quotes about you know we don't know how many more times we can do this mm. um like we want to keep going forever but realistically how many more red dwarfs are we going to do so if there's no more Red Dwarf, it will be really sad. It, or no more, <laughs> no more Alpha Red Dwarf, as we're going to yeah, start calling yeah. it now. <laughs> then it will prime. be really sad. But it won't be as a result of all this shit. I don't think. Yeah. I think when it's when when it's had its day, it will have had its day for a number of reasons. And I don't believe that yeah. those that a main reason is that um, Doug has been stopped from doing it by Rob and or the rest of Grand Productions. And what's really sad is, based on the comments that have been said, that is what Doug wants the fans to believe, that he's been and, stopped from yeah. making Red Dwarf. And, and that's a disingenuous position to take, I would say. I, 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 th- I think, I think and, and invoking the fans in his original... Like, it's, it's, yeah. just, not, it's just not... 
it's not on. And annoyingly, it has worked um, because I've seen plenty of comments. Um, the other day, when um, Red Dwarf HQ tweeted the link to um, Rob's interview, um, there were loads of replies saying, "Isn't Rob Grunt the guy that's trying to kill Red Dwarf? Or well, you know, where's yeah. that effect? Isn't that the guy that's trying to stop Doug from making it?" And there's already, is, you know, like I can see the splits starting to happen in our own community as well of like yeah. people who are favoring Doug, people who are favoring Rob or, you know, people in the middle. And it's, um, I can only assume it's the sort of thing that Doug was hoping for was, was you know, to, to, to get people on. To, in order to get people on side, you have to turn some, you have to turn them against the other half of the, crea- of, of the you know, the show's creators and it's happening um you know there's there's a very large group of people that are all team doug in various different places some legitimate some less so and um it's just just not very nice i think we should we should be welcoming any new red dwarf that comes from either the pen of doug or rob and we should be have some faith in the fact that none of it is going to be intentionally being made at the expense of others because everyone involved just wants red dwarf to exist and be profitable at the end of the day like to put to to, to be really you know (laughs) straightforward about it um because um everyone needs to make money especially at the moment and and to kind of get it down to like a war of personalities almost i mean it's, it's it's just going back to what it was like in in the in the 90s and it's it's just a bit depressing it's not fair on either of them to view it that way it's not constructive it's not going to help Mm. and it's just really not pleasant like yeah. let's just give them both the benefit of the doubt and say that you know you're you're the two people you are the geniuses that created this you two are both responsible for all the good that red dwarf has brought into this world uh, all the friendships that have been formed all the relationships that have been formed all the children that have been born because their parents like red dwarf yeah um yeah it's not like an immaculate conception thing it's not like as if bob and doug created <laughs> children out of nowhere <laughs> Rob and doug have personally gone round <laughs> let's not start any more rumors <laughs> <laughs> And 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 my message to you, the Red Dwarf fans, is um, just have a bit of faith, have a bit of patience, mm. see how this all ends up. Let's try not to jump to too many conclusions and just hope for the best. Because, to be honest, after that initial Daily Mail article, I was just like, I was really upset. <laughs> I was just like, fuck, well, this is this is ruined. Red Dwarf is ruined. And then Rob and Paul's comments happened at um, Holly Hop, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, Maybe this is just another setback and one that can be overcome. Maybe there's a way out of this. And and now I'm actually feeling quite positive <laughs> that not only... like there, I'd now say that there's a strong chance that we will get more Red Dwarf than I previously thought possible. Well, the thing is, I think I, I'm, I'm not Team Rob or Team Doug. I'm Team Dwarf. And it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence with this. But genuinely, it is, there's no point in trying to like because like like i said the internal politics is their their deal it's not yeah it's not to do with us it's it, that that's something they need to sort out but the the fact that you know we're red dwarf fans not doug neil or rob grant fans yeah you know where you know that's that's the point is we, we are we are both of those things we are gestalt entities that involve both of hmm. those things we are not individually you know, maybe maybe some people do prefer Doug's writing to Rob's or Rob's writing to Doug's, but yeah, it's 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 just it's just messy. And and obviously, yeah. like the the original split was Rob not wanting to write Red Dwarf anymore, 
um and then yeah. or at least that's that's like, what that's what the line was well that's what the line because, was, was because we only ever heard and, that and from Doug. and the and like i said the only quote we had was and it's kind of it, what's interesting is the fact that the quote that we have from rob now is nearly in complete contradiction to the quote we got from Comedy Connections, which was the fact that they were looking at all these other spin-offs and stuff and Rob didn't want to do that anymore. And I've I've just it, it's a very strange yeah. thing that the only two things you're on record of Rob saying things are diametrically opposite. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know things I guess things change. Um... I'm not saying I'm not but I'm saying that like twenty five years can you know that that does change things and mm. it's like it's, yeah, yeah. but it you know it, it it's we can only we can only work with the evidence we're presented with, and that's they're, they're like I said, they're the only two times I've heard Rob speak out against is, things of GMP, and they are people can change their mind, right? Like yeah, they're allowed um, to change their position on things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I think Rob probably had very different ideas for how his career was going to go in the nineties and early two thousands. So, leaving the legalities and the rights and wrongs behind, please forever let's well, one thing that we can talk about with some confidence is rob grant's red dwarf because <laughs> we've, we've talked about what you know what his spin-offs would be like what his version of red dwarf is we have a script um that was performed by a cast of fans at hollyhop the online official red dwarf fan club convention it's now the script of which has now been released on reddwarf.co.uk uh, for everyone to download and take a look at so let's talk about what we reckoned. Well, first of all, I mean, obviously, you don't see the script. We didn't see any of the description of the beginning bit, other than the um, the opening titles and Ed reading out the the stage directions. But what's interesting is that the way that it's been described as series six, one one half, episode zero. Yeah, which <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It should be episode uh, six point six seven. and a half. Oh, six, yeah. series, series six, episode six and a half. Six A or, or seven A or one A. Or... While we're on the fucking title sheet of the yeah, script, it's weird that um, it says running time zero hours. I'm assuming that's a, a technicality somewhere. I just think it's. Um, I think someone. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a. Cause you or maybe a joke. It says the, yeah. of the script does not constitute enough of a part there. Oh, yeah, but that's a standard thing. You get Which that is a shame, because I really wanted a part in this. But, you know, yeah, that was going to say, they'd be in real hot water if they hadn't put that in, and they just put it out on the website. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thousands of people are now in Red Wolf. And what's interesting, without wanting to get back into this conversation, is this is copyright Rob Grant, and not copyright Grant Miller Productions. Well. So there you go. Anyway. But how exciting is director Ed by producer Paul Jackson to see on any Red Dwarf script, <laughs> yeah. regardless? It's always good, especially someone written in 2021. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It's kind of how nature intended, really. That's great. Yeah, it is, yeah. Feels feels very, it just feels very classic. Mm. Which is weird, because Series 6 wasn't directed by Ed by, so it's just no. weird that Ed by has now directed a part of an episode of Series 6. <laughs> He's got his mitts in there. <laughs> kind of. yeah. It's a mess. It's only f- series 5 um, is, I, th- I think, the only the only bit that he, you know, a bit of the BBC <laughs> that he needs to reveal that he like maybe um, directed one VT <laughs> for it or something. <laughs> he, was a bu- he was the body double for the self-loathing beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah, the the thing of this being season six and a half, that was like the first thing uh, of note. Uh, I remember watching it, um, <laughs> watching it on my phone with headphones on in the corner, trying not to disturb anyone. Uh, like the first thing that <laughs> strikes you in the script is the setting. Um, as the caption puts it, it takes place at the end of Out of Time. 
And I think Capsi <laughs> sent a, a message to our WhatsApp group at that point saying, oh, Rob, you troll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because it's like you, th- you, you do think, oh, come on, this is a bit on the nose. But then you think, well, if you're going to write a script that inserts in, into the universe, then you kind of have to... It kind of has to start where... It has to be your bit, off. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. You can't say this takes place in the middle of series 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess I guess that's fair enough, but it's a, it's a very cool point to pick. Like, you know, yeah. it is, this remains, like, uh, even though series 8 had a cliffhanger that lasted nine years, this is still the cliffhanger for a lot of, yeah. a lot of fans of a certain age. Um, yeah, is the is the best cliffhanger. Yeah, not necessarily the best resolution in the show, uh, which is why it's another reason why it's a good thing to pick. Yeah, the poor this poor cliffhanger has now had two kind of questionable <laughs> resolutions. Uh, maybe a uh, maybe Plus, third time looking. Uh, three, uh, because there's the version that they shot at oh, the time. Fuck, yeah, uh, that was included on the Smeg Update, the Euro and Recycle. Oh ending. yeah, the, the moustache thing. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting, actually, and I don't know whether it's ever been mentioned, but he actually names the time machine here. He yeah, that's a weird one. Time machine, and it's like I love the fact that it's got a name now. And it was like it was kind of like called the time drive or anything like that. But like the anywhen is always a, re- it's a it just, for me. I was just like, ah, oh, that's new dwarf. I like the fact that that's a new thing that I now can add into my. <laughs> well, I mean that's a brand name, isn't it? Like he, he's great. giving it a brand anyway, name rather than like the, like, the yeah. time drive. It's the anywhen. But it makes sense for the sake of the joke as well because it wasn't. It's not mm. an anywhere time machine. It's an anywhen time machine. At least in series six. Again. Oh, yeah. Maybe, Do you know maybe, what? Yeah, that is. A bit there. Yeah, that might be a troll <laughs> now that you say it. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think that's the thing. I expected this to be just completely standalone and just like a sketch featuring those characters. I wasn't expecting it to be any like slotted into the series part of the narrative. Yeah. But I'm really glad that it was in the end because it's kind of like an alternative version. And again, like further to the sort of things that we said earlier it it doesn't contradict or diminish the tv version that happened in series seven but it's just like here's an alternative here's rob's interpretation of what happened after the cliffhanger mm-hmm. and also the fact that he wrote it for this specific cast like he says in the interview on toss that he only started writing it after they decided on on the cast that makes it a kind of alternative university type world and that sort of dictated the way that the story went and i was impressed by the fact that he'd tailored it to the cast rather than tried to pretend that you know that that young girl was chris barry or that czech woman was danny john jules (laughs) yeah and actually i kind of thought that that's how it was going to go i thought this script would be written and then they'd just cast blind like they said they were going to and that they all would just play the characters and their whatever their genders, whatever their races or whatever their nationalities are, it wouldn't be explicitly mentioned in the script. But what I kind of like is the fact that for the fans who actually got to do this as well, it's like Rob went out of his way to tailor the yeah. script for you. So mm. you being a part of this and you making Rob have to change the way that he writes for you, that's really fucking cool. He could have made mm. a completely neutral script, as you said. It legitimizes their interpretations of the characters. Absolutely, as well. yeah, yeah, that's true. They're, they're not just being shoehorned in. It's great. There's there's a very strange um, visual when Rimmer gets 
crushed. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, it's a cartoony. It says in the stage directions, like, he's Wily Coyote. I like the idea like, that if the light bee's crushed, so is he. <laughs> and it's like, as it's repairing itself, it's like the image just gets more and more. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a side effect of the um, of the hard light drives and what happens when uh, an immovable uh, object meets an uh, unstoppable force. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, what happens when, when Hulk tries to stop Thor's hammer? It's like... <laughs> yeah, like, so something breaks temporarily and then it fixes itself it's yeah. fine <laughs> everything turns into roadrunner and then the in-jokes of trying to wind it up <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> this took me 30 seconds to type it will cost ed at least three production days planning <laughs> shooting and editing i find that interesting in that he's kind of writing it in a, a sort of role play as if this was still the late 80s early 90s yeah yeah. Because, like, with modern techniques and modern technology, uh, it probably wouldn't take Ed that long to do some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like a role play thing where it's still, like, if this was being made and Ed was directing it straight after Series 6, then this is what it would well, be. Well, this like. is like a series finale of all of the in joke from the quarantine yeah. commentaries, isn't it, really? Yeah. The only surprise is that there were no pencils being snapped in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, basically. Rimmer gets squashed like Wily Coyote. That causes his shot to miss the time drive and just glance it, which destroys the unreality field that's around it and that basically turns it into the infinite improbability drive from Hitchhikers, yeah. mm. uh, where random shit starts happening. Oh, and, the, uh, the, the um, unreality field, which uh, from actual out of time... In Out of Time, they enter a bubble and then exit it. This feels like the unreality is radiating out yeah, and sort like of attacking them. Doing that. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, at one point, the machine itself turns into a, um, a vending machine dispensing used Japanese panties. And that's the only bit of the of the comedy side of the script where I'm like, yeah, it's not the mid-90s anymore, though. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's the fact that Lister is so... It's like, as a joke in itself, it's it's fine. It's not offensive or anything, but the fact that Lister is so obsessed with it makes Lister feel a bit sleazy. It, it Yeah, it's completely out of character for Lister, I would say. And as the only male character in it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, no, it's not. I, t- it, I can see Rimmer being interested. Yeah, but maybe not being. Yeah, I, I. It's just that's one of those jokes where you just immediately think, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't belong. Yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't fit into Red Dwarf as I see it anyway. Um, and that is probably the only exception in terms of the characters feeling like the characters because they totally do. And it's you know, it's yeah. like he's he's still got the same grip on these characters as he did. Little things like. The cat has a line of like everyone's okay apart yeah. from the others. That That's is brilliant, and that is a line that you know could well fit into uh, what was it in, in Entangled, where it says we're all really upset apart from me, him, him, and him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very much like that is an an evergreen cat line uh, from any time in the cat's history. He could he could easily see him coming out with that line. Yeah. It, it's great because it just it just perfectly encapsulates him as a character, and it's also very sharp because like it's easy for like the cat to get some obvious gags that are a bit like a bit grown worthy, but just I don't know. This one just seems to, and especially when you're reading it, it just seems to kind of just hit you in just the right way. 
Like it, it might be just the punctuation here is that like, lapel's slightly squiffy, scuff on the left winkle picker, hair needs a little tweaking. Aside from that, yes, everyone's okay, apart from the others. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, it is a different experience reading the script rather than seeing it performed as well because mm-hmm. I genuinely think that the cast that they got were really good and like I, so I said as a comment on GNT they're not professional actors they're just fans it would be remiss to be too critical of them if they deserved it but the fact is that they don't deserve to be criticised I think they all did a really good job and I think that yeah. Harmony Hewitt is her name Harmony Hewitt sorry as um, as Rimmer uh, especially was was really good. Um, Ellie Griffith's makeup job as Crichton was superb, slightly <laughs> terrifying, but superb nonetheless. And yeah, they they all did their jobs really well. Having said that, when you read it in script form and all you're going off is the characters' names, it suddenly feels even more legit, like real Red Dwarf, mm-hmm. when it's it those names and you know that Rob Grant has written those names and written the dialogue underneath. I do have one specific example, actually, of where Crichton is, uh, again, totally in character. Crichton is uh, packing his arm back into his its original supply case. In the in the performance of that, um, the actor delivers it's a mechanoid thing in the kind of Series 7 way of doing sad Crichton, uh... whereas, uh, obviously, that wouldn't have been in Rob's head when he was writing it because that's not a characterisation of Crichton that he was ever involved in. And in the script, it says Crichton shrugs and says it's a mechanoid thing, which, which again, it's like it, it changes. The, I'm not saying one interpretation is better or worse, but it changes the meaning of the line by reading it in script form. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine that being read like nonchalantly. Just yeah, it's a mechanoid yeah, thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Are we to assume that did Rimmer glance the time drive in all realities and and this and this you know obviously all these unrealities kind of spread out. Whereas, you know, the real one still carried on. Or was it only in this particular timeline where he glanced it and didn't fire at it properly that created this? Yes, like so from the well, start it... we were seeing from an alternate timeline where Rimmer didn't hit it straight on. Well, in no other version of the story does he get concertinaed Wily Coyote style. Yes, that's true, yeah. And that happens um, just before he fires And that happened it. before yeah, yeah. he fires the shot. So, yeah. I get... But then a girder does fall on him in yeah. Out of Time. Yeah, it does. I wonder if that's meant to be the, the, the thing that is different. That Rob, yeah, picked up on. Yeah, that's interesting. Because you see him, you see him firing the shot, but you don't, you don't see it connect. It cuts the model shot of Starbuck blowing up. Yeah. Um... You can you can interpret that this is what always happened, I think. Yeah, I think so, because I was assuming a bit later when they start talking about all the other different timelines, and mm. I thought that that was a consequence of the glancing off the... Like, the diversion of, hey, there's loads of timelines was because of shooting the time drive, not... Whereas if the concertina thing and him only glancing it was part of a separate timeline to begin with... It shouldn't impact anything. Yeah, else. yeah. But no, yeah, I think, yeah, let's talk about that because it's, it's so, so interesting. <laughs> that Towards the end, it's basically seems to be um, Rob setting up an alternative history of Red Dwarf, basically, yeah. saying that, I'll read out Lister's speech, all right, so this is it, but it's only it for us. Somewhere out there, there's another us in a better reality, surfing the star waves, hungry for adventure. Sure, they're not exactly us, but they're almost the same. So... Basically, at the point where the time drive is destroyed at the end of Series 6, 
Red Dwarf's universe could split off into various directions. Yeah. And the one that we've seen from Series 7 onwards is one of those, which leaves open a whole raft of possibilities for stage shows, spin-offs, movies, <laughs> series, specials, Red Dwarf flying out of our buttskis. Basically, <laughs> Rob Grant has used a what could have just been a little throwaway little exercise... <laughs> A bonus for the fans at an online convention. He's used that to establish <laughs> potentially the way that Multiverse. he's going to <laughs> his extended universe. create this Red Dwarf yeah. extended universe. Fair play to him. Yeah, fair play to the lad. He played a blinder. Fair play to the lad. <laughs> also, within that, Kat says, no way are they as cool as us. And Lister says, no way is cool. No way is good. <laughs> and like, all right, Rob. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he was he maybe he was throwing a bone to the cast there. Like no one's as cool as this this group of casts are oh, okay. reading yeah. up to. Yeah, it's definitely that and not saying that the characters from series seven onwards are not as good as yeah. the characters from series. I mean, and also six. he's got Rimmer and Lister like at each other's necks right until the end. I mean like everyone like spoilers, everyone dies. Like it's incredibly bleak and Grantian. <laughs> um but Lister <laughs> and Rimmer Grantesque <laughs> Uh, Grantesquery, <laughs> yeah. Rimmer and Lister were just at each other for like the whole thing. Like fuck, fuck Moonlight. You know, like this is <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. Two black holes colliding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This line from Crichton. It's like not long now, sirs and marms. I suggest you make your peace. Like fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, you, yeah. You, you could you could reinterpret this script as a really dark <laughs> drama piece. Yeah, nothing about it is out of character as well. Like, I love the way that Rimmer at the end is like genuinely delighted that she's the last one to die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of like, yes, I've won. I'm victorious. I'm the last thing alive in this universe. I do like the uh, the little diatribe that Rimmer throws at Lister when he knows he's about to um, <laughs> he's about to go. He's just like, well. Another triumphant result for the intrepid Space Corps adventurers, Idiot Branch. <laughs> All thanks yeah. to you, you're the hero of my life story, you're the wind beneath my wings, a wind that's fierce, foul, and redolent of still <laughs> Yeah, exactly, you're the wind beneath my This is what brought to mind, like, this is this is Rob's moonlight speech. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. nihilistic, but still funny. <laughs> it works as well, because I don't think the moonlight speech would work at this stage in Red Dwarf's history. No. I think the whole story of Red Dwarf, as we've discussed is about Rimmer and Lister and about their friendship uh, developing from non-existence to like the most important relationship in each other's lives and that obviously started with in the Rob and Doug era and from series one to six you can see the wholesale changes in their relationship but it's the Dave era that's got us to the point where they're actually friends and where the Moonlight speech makes sense Mm. at this stage in their relationship at the end of series six they're obviously a lot friendlier and happier with each other and more tolerant of each other than they used to be but there's still a simmering hatred underneath especially mm. from rumors point it's of still view. early days they still they yeah. still have like they haven't completely uh, accepted the fact that you know uh, accepted their lot basically yeah they're still looking for other things that yeah that time that they've spent together the nine years between um series eight and back to earth basically yeah changed a lot also they're not in their 50s uh, like they are in the promised land yeah like you, you have to imagine that this is 1993 and so they're, they're still in their 20s and 30s yeah. very true 
and so what you know what does rob do after this like a, a, a book very easily like you know you just pick up like it, it solves the problem of needing to pick up um his next book after backwards yeah um you know where um cat, uh, cat and lister are both 15 and they're, they're, they've liaised with you know an alternate version of Crichton and Rimmer, whereas that spoilers for the book weird. club. Spoilers oh, for the book club. Fuck, <laughs> it's fine. Everyone no, no it. one who's got to this stage of one of our podcasts and doesn't know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, which is a weird one because you just think like you don't have any real connection to that Rimmer and, and Crichton. Yeah. It, it feels like a strange one to live. So, uh, having a book carry on from this works just great. Having an audio series, yeah. actually, especially an audio series, would work well here i was just thinking that because it can be the alternate series seven it, it basically yeah it, the, <laughs> i don't want to give a 13 page script performed by fans at a convention <laughs> too much uh, weight but uh, it does give you an excuse uh and a reason uh and the ability to run concurrent red dwarfs without them contradicting each other and without having to decide which is legitimate and which is real like r- if rob wants to write series seven onwards like what he would do picking up the characters as they were left at the end of series six he can yeah and just it was an alternative universe that was created when the time drive was destroyed it doesn't erase anything that doug's done from series seven onwards it can live alongside it happily in the same way the book universe lives alongside the tv universe yeah without without any technical explanation given (laughs) yeah essentially that is what happened with the books right you had backwards and you had last human they were forks of the same road and it was like this is his interpretation there's no reason why the tv series couldn't do the same you couldn't have a red dwarf alternate and have a you know or a you know time split or something you know where it's obvious that it's not meant to run in the same thread as the original dwarf it runs off in a different direction you know, it completely fits the world of Red Dwarf. It completely fits the ethos of Red Dwarf, which is that you know all things apart from aliens are possible. I would be, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing that I never thought I would like that even Red Dwarf would possibly do. But it's it's it's, it's likely, and, it, and yeah, it'd be nice if it are. It would be it would be interesting. It's interesting because because the books have done this timeline splitting before without any without needing to explain anything. It actually feels like a setup like this wouldn't be necessary for a new novel, but it would be necessary for like a different TV series or a uh, yeah. or, or an audio series. So, like, yeah, I, w- I wonder if that's more kind of what he's thinking here. If if or, or he's having a he's having a bit of playful fun and he has no fucking idea, yeah. <laughs> you know, what he <laughs> intends to do. I mean, far be it from Red Dwarf fans to put too much uh, <laughs> emphasis and importance on something that's completely throwaway, <laughs> finding meaning where there is none. But yeah, and, and based on this, like, you can't... I think some people on G&T, um, and surprising who the people were in some cases as well, were very against this and very critical of it. I think it's fine, it's good, it's fun. Yeah. It's it's good it it makes me laugh it can't be judged as a proper episode of red dwarf because it was done over zoom it was not produced in a table read deliberately and tailored for um a cast of amateurs but i think when you read the script and you read that dialogue next to those character names it's a perfectly serviceable red dwarf script or at least you know the beginnings thereof and who was it that pointed out i can't remember who i think it was da- it was dan of the wibble 
um, in the comments said that this is basically like um, a comic relief sketch. This is the kind of thing yeah, that, yeah. you know, if you view it that way, it's just a little sort of 10 minute cutaway of a little mini adventure in the cast lives that's just not to be taken as seriously as we are taking it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just a bit of fun. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, that fits the job perfectly. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, one for one for the people in 20 years to argue about whether it's canon or yeah. not. But as we've established, it, it, yeah, it is if you want. Yeah. It's Multiverse 101. <laughs> we even managed to make can't smoke won't smoke canon in one recent podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, <what> we did. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, we love connecting shit up because that's what we yeah. do. So because yeah. we've got we've got else to talk about. <laughs> well, it's it's nicer to analyze the shit out of this than it is to analyze the situation in Grandnada Productions. But. Certainly, even though the two are inextricably linked. <laughs> yeah, it's, it would seem so, <laughs> including it seems in something that came to light in the PDF version of the script that wasn't actually included in the Hollyhock performance, <laughs> which was, uh, there's a description here of the closing credits, and it says it's an amalgam of classic shots from the first six seasons, the cast all turn into gloop in each one. Brackets, suck on that, Mr. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a little kind of bonus thing in the script, because they just, in the Hollyhock, they just cut to the credits that they'd made. Whereas, yeah, Rob's idea was to do that. Classic shots from the first six series all turning into gloop. And, yeah, specifically the first six classic. series. Classic. I mean, you know, he knows he knows what's considered classic Red Dwarf. <laughs> I'm perturbed by Rob Grant. And he does it here and in the title page as well, referring to seasons of Red Dwarf. Yeah. Come on, Rob. Doug, Doug's done the same thing as well. Yeah. I have a behind-the-scenes story, which I think I'm allowed to say and include. When Rob was doing the first quarantine commentary, when me and Joe were helping out with like technical bits of getting him set up on Zoom and stuff, he he ran the sort of introductory email past me, which was a weird thing in the first fucking place of Rob Grant running a bit of writing past me, and I he'd written, <laughs> "We're going to be commentating on season one, episode two, future echoes," and I told him to change it from. Season to series, <laughs> and his reply was something like, um, "Whose show is this?" <laughs> Shut the hell up, Ian! Shut the hell up, Danny! <laughs> it's literally the same. Whose interview is this? Whose show is this? <laughs> yeah, we we living in very strange times at the moment. Yeah. For whatever reason, Hollyhock can't be re-shown. It's interesting that this came out of it, because it's the one thing that most people would not have, if they weren't able to see it, it's the one thing that came out. It stands alone, definitely. And it, it, it was a very special part of um, Hollyhop, which I guess we could talk about Hollyhop in general briefly before we wrap up. Yeah. Because yeah. it was a really good <laughs> weekend. It's the first um, fan club event for over a decade that none of us are personally involved in mm. so we can talk about it honestly and I was really hoping to be able to stick the fucking boot into those bastards <laughs> but they did a really good job yeah, and, uh, we've, got to, we've got to concede that they are capable of doing something without us Who, who'd have thunk it we're not amazing <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely technically quite complicated the idea of doing a live stream thing on, on stage was like fucking terrifying enough with you know with timing mm-hmm. everything up with but doing it amongst all the guests and and queuing everything up and and having different hosts yeah because it could have been easy they could have made it easier for themselves by having a single host doing Kerry for every single interview but they had a different host for each thing and I thought it was brilliant I thought it was amazing mm-hmm. like really well thought out the 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 pace of it all 
The only criticism I had was that I didn't have time to eat. <laughs> there was everything was going on, and because we knew that it wasn't going to be released afterwards, like where oh, if I miss it, I can watch it back. It's like no, you you have to watch this now, otherwise you're never going to see it again. Yeah. So I like had to just sit there and be hungry for two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, I, think, I did. Yeah. I did wait. I did go to bed when it finished, and then woke up. <laughs> yeah, you weren't just sat there just like when's it starting again? Not blinking. <laughs> yeah, well, that was just because it was so jam packed. It was a ridiculous yeah. amount of like number of guests and the range of guests, and even like having little sort of video contributions from fans. Uh, like there was a there was a couple of cosplay VTs, and it Which was great really that they were good. able to get that element of DJ across. Yeah. In the new format, because like yeah. cosplay in the costume competition is always a big part of DJ. Yeah. Um, having something there, yeah. There was just there was just so much going on, and I think like yeah, my literally only criticism is that I could have done with a lunch break in the middle. <laughs> but if that's the only criticism that you've got at the end of a weekend, that was what was it nine quid? Yeah, it was nine quid. It was stupid. A discount for anyone that had a DJ ticket that made it even cheaper, but like even like for someone basically just. Watching two days worth of solid entertainment um, for nine quid is ridiculously reasonable. I, Even if it didn't have an exclusive Red Dwarf script by Rob Grant for the <laughs> first time in twenty five years in the middle of it, I had a moment where I was I was looking at the the lineup and I was like, "Oh come on!" I mean, I I, I really wish there was like times attached to these things. And then suddenly I had like a flashback to the amount of times I'd had to, I've had to say to attendees, "Oh, we've only got the order of events. We haven't got the times because obviously things can overrun." And I just felt, <laughs> "Oh God, I've be- what have I become? I've become the person I hate. Yeah, I've become one of them." <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that if you time stuff all you're going to do is if anything it's, happens it's, it's going to push the whole fucking schedule out and it's not yeah. like is it and it's like the first time we've ever done anything like this before there's no way they can and there was a slight glitch at the beginning well that got sorted pretty quickly and yeah. then it all and then that was it yeah. and that that was that was literally the only problem like technically and everything else was and they handled it really well they were really yeah. professional about everything hats off to the fan club guys well done one of my highlights of the weekend, the look of panic in Pendo's eyes when he thought that he was going to have to fill for like five or ten minutes, but it turned out that <laughs> yeah. everything was fine in the end. <laughs> Every, oh, everyone, it was Pendo. just about to start singing, and then uh, fine, Robert turned up. Professional YouTuber Robert Llewellyn, who um, forgot to turn his mic on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the technical issue that they had. The biggest technical issue of the weekend was that Robert Llewellyn didn't realise he was on mute. <laughs> yeah, on on the set, on his fully charged set, and everything. It's like, <laughs> I guess like the the, the Q and A's felt a bit a bit like each one of them left you feeling. Like you wanted more, which is not mm. a bad thing, but like I would maybe prefer because obviously there will there's bound to be future virtual events like this. You would expect. You would expect yeah, because um, because I'm not anticipating that this is, you know, without any insider info. Yeah, I can't imagine there being a, a event with 400 people happening in September this year. No, um, uh, we would so have all assume... barely about got our first vaccines by then. Yeah. I would maybe cut down the amount of Q and A's and let them last a bit longer, give them a bit more breathing room, a bit more time for questions. We had a test with this last DJ, and I realised how well it worked. Was when you have someone on stage with the person, and you have 
Yeah. Like oh, we had yeah, Ian with, with Doug asking questions, and there were questions like it was, it was questions that you know were, were coming up organically as a result of the, of the chat, but also there were questions that were being you know asked by the fans, and they were they were being. But that way of doing it just seems to work so much better than you know listening to an empty room waiting for people to. You could yeah. vet the questions before, not, mm. not even vet the questions beforehand, but you can prepare a, a, a theme and, and a. And a and a structure a lot better. Yeah, a presenter gives yeah. things pace as well. Like. Yeah. Even though, yeah, the questions were submitted by the fans, it felt like a proper scripted interview. Yeah. It, yeah, it felt very different to a DJ Q&A for obvious reasons, the fact that it was happening online, but also, you know, trying to replicate that on Zoom would have been awkward as fuck. So I think they had a really good solution to make it feel unique and uh, to take the ethos of a DJ Q&A and create a, a sort of bespoke product of it. Yeah, yeah and it can and be down to the well. person being interviewed, whether they fancy, that, whether they want it to be more sort of controlled or whether they want it to be a bit more chaotic. Like, I would suggest they... they Maybe that was the reason why everything was um, smooth and pretty much run on time was that Danny John Jules wasn't doing a and a <laughs> Or Craig Charles. Because yeah. <laughs> trying to keep Danny John Jules to 15 minutes uh, would not have worked. <laughs> it's, it's like herding some sort of um, small domesticated um, furry animal. I hope that um, we get more holly hops. You holly um, I It is my holly hope. <laughs> I think, like, obviously, through nobody's fault other than whoever fucked that bat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, There are reasons that uh, DJ can't happen right now in the in the way that it. But like, as an experiment, as a as something that was you know only really intended to be a stopgap, I thought Holly Hop was a complete success, and yeah, I'd really enjoy having that. um, Obviously, with you know a few tweaks and a few improvements here and there. Mm-hmm. Let's let's have that as well as DJ forever because yeah. <laughs> it was really good. It was, I really it enjoyed really it. Good. So we don't want much, do we? We just want um, <laughs> <Everything>. <laughs> we we want uh, in person conventions and virtual conventions. We want Doug to carry on making Red Dwarf and Rob to make more Red Dwarf on top of what Doug's making. Yeah. And only once our demands are met will we stop moaning. <laughs> stop releasing dwarf cards. <laughs> yeah. Until then. So expect to hear from us again in a couple of weeks' time uh, when we finally tackle the second part of our Last Human read-through as part of the Dwarfcast book club. You can still leave your comments on the post if you haven't already, but um, it's been running for ages at this point. So you've probably already got your comments in if you want to get them in. Stick with us over at Ganymede.tv for all the latest breaking news. Um, and also make sure you're following us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. And until next time, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, stay with me tonight, stay another day. Stay hydrated. Stay Sisleek <laughs> is an episode in series two. Uh, and as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.